0: Alright, so we're in John 1, Um, we've been here for a while, and we're going to be here for a while, this is really awesome to me. Um, We're going to be uh, starting in verse 13, and I'm going to try to make it uh, through 19. Um, all of this is recorded. It does go on the podcast, so if you ever want to go back and re-listen to these or any of the previous ones and get caught up to where we're at or any of the sermons from the Sunday mornings, you can do that um, at awaken-ministries.com. It's all put on there. Uh, it's not me trying to plug my ministry. It's just if you want to get fed, there's more out there. Um, so I'm going to read it. I'll always read it in its entirety, and I usually read from a couple different translations. I'm going to read from the New King James, and I'm going to read it from the Passion. Um, who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness of him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness we have all received in grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, He has declared Him. Now this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask Him, Who are you? And then from the Passion, uh, He was not born by the joining of human parents or from natural means or by a man's desire, but He was born of God. And so the living expression became a man and lived among us. We gazed upon his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, overflowing with tender mercy and truth. John announced the truth about him when he taught the people, he's the one. He's the one I've been telling you would come after me, even though he ranks far above me, because he exists before I was even born. And from the overflow of his fullness, we received grace heaped upon more grace, Moses gave us the law, but Jesus, the anointed one, unveils truth wrapped in tender mercy. No one ever before gazed upon the full splendor of God except His uniquely beloved Son, who is cherished by the Father and held close to His heart. Now that He has come to us, He has unfolded a full explanation of who God truly is. Now this was John's testimony when some of the Jewish leaders sent an entourage of priests and temple servants from Jerusalem to interrogate Him. Who are you? they asked Him. So, Jesus, we just thank you so much for your word, Lord. We thank you that there is nothing in here that is not truth, Lord. We thank you, God, that you cannot lie. You would never lie. You are unable to lie. So everything that is spoken through your word has to be true, Lord. But with everything that that comes from revelation, Lord, that that we lack understanding, we we lack revelation, Lord, and and everything that is revealed tonight out of my mouth, Lord, let it go deep, deep down inside of their heart. And may the seed be planted and bring forth fruit, Lord, and anything said, out of my mouth, Lord, let it be tested with your word. I challenge all of those listening to this now and later to test it with your word. Test everything that is said and find place for it in your life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And So what what we basically do is I just go through verse by verse and I just break it down. Um, And then at the end, I I allow people to ask questions if they have any. Um, It's not that I'm the guru. It's just an opportunity for you to ask questions and to grow. Um, Because we always need to enter every room hungry and we can receive from anybody. And so um, in in, in 13, the first thing that that really was highlighted to me that I, I had to stop and break down, because oftentimes I'll break down every single word in one verse. Um, and break down everything that it means to better understand what they were trying to say, not from what man has said, not from opinions of other people's sermons, but the original text, the Greek and Hebrew, studying it out fully. And so the the first word I want to talk about tonight is the word who. It says who were born. And so the who, those, those that believe in his name. Those that believe on his name is what that's talking about. That is the who. It's it's not um, those that call themselves Christians, but those that believe on his name. Uh, Those that are stepping into that intimate relationship, continually believing upon his name, continually walking steadfastly in the truth that was revealed, um, that Jesus Christ came to bear witness, uh, that came to fulfill the witness of and to come to bear witness of what would come uh, in the later days as he began to teach throughout his life. Um, The next thing was born not of blood. Um, And and more importantly, the word born, um, that word born means a bringing forth. Um, So this speaks of of something that wasn't but now is. Uh, It didn't didn't exist in flesh before, but now it has. And so it's a bringing forth. Those who were brought to Christ by the gospel and of people who are adopted into the family of God. And this, this doesn't speak, um, so when it says be born again, um, you know, it, it, it doesn't mean a new body. Um, you know, most of us probably in this room are born again. I can't say everybody in here is born again, uh, because I don't know you all individually. Um, going to church doesn't save you. Reading the Bible doesn't save you. Only intimacy and relationship with Jesus saves you. And so I don't know that particularly about every single person, um, but you know, when you was born again, you didn't just get a new body. It didn't just all of a sudden you were just ageless and now you had this new body. Your body was still the same. Uh, What happened inside of you began to change. And then what happened inside of you began to change. And there had to be a manifestation of the inward work becoming an outward work into your life. And that is how we know people are saved. It marks salvation on one's life. And so it's important for me to, to to really highlight that it's not a new body, soul, or spirit, but one made holy by believing in his name. So it's um, one of the, the greatest miracles, and I can't remember exactly who said it, and probably some of you all know, but he said, somebody said it was a, a great general of faith. He said the, most, uh, the greatest miracle that God could ever do is take an unholy man, save him, make him holy, and put him back into a holy world, and allow him to stay holy. And I think that was Leonard Ravenhill that actually said that. And, and so that's, that's actually what's taking, supposed to be taking place um, when, when salvation, uh, uh, being born again, is taking place, is that you, you are put—you're spiritually removed from the world, saved— made holy, put back into it, and then asked to remain in the holiness that you experienced on that salvation moment. Um, Because nobody in their salvation moment is sinning. Nobody in their salvation moment is blaspheming God. Nobody in their salvation moment is stepping away from God. It's, It's all a coming to God. It's the moments after that we have to remain holy and steadfast in that born again that we've experienced. It's that continuation of not just... Um, staying in the holiness that you received and that was imparted to you by salvation because of the blood of Jesus by way of the Holy Spirit, but continuing to go deeper into holiness because Jesus didn't come to show us that he could. He came to show us that we could. He gave permission for us to continually step deeper and deeper and deeper into intimacy and understanding of who the Father is. He came to bear witness of the Father. John John the Baptist come to bear witness of Jesus. Jesus come to bear witness of the Father. He said, I come so that you could be reconnected back with the Father because you've been so disconnected. I am the bridge. I am the way. I am the life. I am the truth. These are the things, some of the things that Jesus begins to talk about. Um, this is why we recorded because some of you are looking at me like deer in headlights. You can go back and listen again and take notes. Um, and so it is that that being whole, be made holy by believing on His name. That word, even believing on His name, it is not just a simple saying. I believe Jesus is Lord. That word, believing, breaks down to intimate relationship. Um, uh, in in the effect of a continuation of beginning to know Him more and more with every second of every day. So that believing on His name is saying a continuation of deeper intimacy every second of every day, longing, being hungry for more of Him and for less of the world. There's a song out there that says, and the things of this world will go grow strangely dim. This should be taking place in your life. As you begin to step more and more into Christ, you go out into the public and things just seem. Weird. They just seem so dim. They just seem so different. And you know that this is not the world that you're called to be uh, a part of, but you have to be in it. And the reason you're in it is to change it. It's the same reason why Jesus is in you, because he's in you to change you. And him in you puts you in the world to help change the world to be kingdom, heaven on earth. And so uh, that's just another little thing. So, not a blood. Um, not right of natural descent from man. So that, that word, that what it's saying, not of blood, he was born, not of blood. Um, it, it's, it's making us understand, um, you know, we, we know the story of Mary and Joseph and the Holy spirit, uh, came upon her and she was impregnated by the spirit of God. And Jesus was born. It was not by flesh and blood. It was by the spirit of the God spirit of God is what this is talking about. Um, and so it, it even talks, uh, so, so on down it says will of the flesh. So will of the flesh is not by right of the flesh. His um, conception was without sin or lust. Uh, there's there's most, most probably, I can't say 100%, but there's probably nobody Um, that exists that their birth was not birthed out of some type of sin or some type of lust your mom your dad seen your mom or your mom seen your dad and they thought they looked good and they was like hey this is going to be fun even if they were married um there there was a a lust towards uh wanting a longing to be with one another that existed now i can't that's not 100% for everybody um but Jesus' birth was without sin or lust. There was no lustful spirit. There was no sinful moment. There was no backsliding. There there was nothing but purity and holiness that took place. Uh, um, The the, the Spirit of God didn't even come upon her uh, without her permission. Uh, The angel of the Lord came and began to explain to her, a very young girl, what was going to take place, and not until she said, I will allow this, did it happen? So there was no sin, there was no forcefulness. It was a willingness to participate, to be impregnated by the spirit of the living God, by Jesus himself. It's the same thing that we get the opportunity to do when we present the gospel to a lost and dying world. We present the gospel in such a way so they understand what's about to take place, what is needed of them, and what's supposed to happen afterwards. And when they accept that, they then get impregnated with the spirit of the living God that allows them to be saved. So, not of the will of man, not by right of man's theories and religions, but of God, who took man's place to save him, he was born he was born of God's will, God's spirit, and the eternal and of eternal existence and so we have to break those down. To, be, to better understand. So what does it mean? Um, not of blood. Not of blood is an etern- eternal existence. Jesus didn't come to not be ever again. He didn't come to live just a mortal life and die and become one with the earth and then be resurrected on the last day like us. He was not born of the blood. He was born of eternal existence. The moment he was born, he would always be that salvation miracle that would set free the world, and there was nothing that anyone could do that could stop what was happening. Um, so we have, to, and we have to talk about. He says he was not born um, of the will of the flesh. So what's what's the opposite of the will of the flesh? The will of the spirit. The flesh, the flesh wants to win. The spirit wants to win. So there's that constant battle. Um, if you were here for when we were doing Romans, we talked a lot about that. You can go back and listen to that. Um, where I break that down and, and then not of the will of man the opposite of the will of man is the will of God so you're always you're always battling um, against these things you have the will of the flesh versus the will of the spirit or, or the will of blood versus the will of the spirit you have the will of man versus the will of God and then Jesus had that preexistence and eter- ex- eternal existence that he always would be he would never not be he always has been, always will be, and there's nothing anyone could ever do to change that. And John, John is really trying to lay this out and highlight this so that they can understand what is he even talking about? What, what, was the, what was taking place here? And so this is why he's saying these things. So again, will of man, not by right of man's theories and religions, but of God who took man's place to save him. Born of God's will, born of the, the will of the Spirit, and of etern- eternal existence. So that's thirteen. So fourteen. And the Word became flesh. Uh, the first thing that I want to break down is that became flesh. So became flesh, not spirit, but man. Not God, but earthly. Not not heavenly. So he was. He was flesh, he was flesh and bone. This is one of the, the biggest, probably one of the biggest religious debates um, that is out there, which I don't do debates. I just preach the gospel and I move on. Other people can argue I don't have time for that. Um, that they want to say that God that Jesus was fully God and fully man at the same time, which is totally incorrect. Jesus was fully man with the ability to pick up his deity at any moment and chose not to. It wasn't that he didn't have the reach to be God in the moment. He chose not to. Uh, so, how does that make sense? Because if he did it as God, you can't do it. Because you can't do what God does. But if he did it as a man, you can do it. So, everything that Jesus did, he did as a man. God doesn't hunger. God doesn't thirst. But we know that Jesus did. Even on, on the cross, he said, I thirst. God doesn't thirst. Uh, it says that after he finished his 40 day fast, he was hungry. God is not hungry like that. He doesn't, he doesn't long for natural food. God doesn't need it. But Jesus was fully man with the ability to pick up his deity. It's kind of like, uh, I, I seen it one time, the Lord was kind of explaining it to me, and it was more like a balloon that was just hovering over him at all times, and all he had to do was pop it. And this is why in, in the garden, he said, if I wanted to, I could call on 12 legions of angels. He was talking about touching His deity because only the Father can release the angels. And if He was to have touched that deity, He would have became the same as the Father in that moment and had the ability to call upon those angels, but He chose not to because He had to proceed as flesh and blood to be the perfect sacrifice to to free us from our flesh and blood. So this made him God's son for sonship is uh, connection with Jesus Christ. Always. It refers to humanity, never deity. He became visible to us. Isaiah seven fourteen, Emmanuel. That's where this word comes from. God with us. Uh, basically, another way to say it is he pitched his tent among us. Um, it's the same thing with the tabernacle and the tent of meeting. This was the same representation of the greater, uh, the greater manifestation that was going to come later with Jesus in flesh. He pitched his tent among us. He became flesh and bone with us and lived amongst us, just like in the time of the tabernacle of meeting, the tent of meeting. That he was the glory was there. Jesus was there. The Father was there. The Spirit of God was there. Now we have that ability because He came as flesh and bone and blood to live among us so that we could have access to that, not by going to some building, but by allowing him to come into us. And even more than that, uh, he comes into us to bring us into him so that we no longer exist, but only he exists through us. It is a diminishing, a separating, a non existential state of our flesh, but only a manifestation of the Son coming to pass in our lives. This is the goal. It's not the moment you get saved. It is that continuation of intimacy with Him. It's. You ever had a friend that was very influential? Everyone wanted to be around them. Everyone liked them. And then you noticed everyone that was around them started to look like them. They started to dress like them. They started to talk like them. They started wearing the same cologne or perfume. They started listening to the same music. This is the same thing, but the opposite side of the spectrum because that right there is actually classified as witchcraft because it's a manipulative spirit to bring you in to think that you can't be who you're supposed to be. You need to be like them because they're cool. This is the opposite of that because everything... Hell has manipulated, heaven has a greater version of. And so this is the existence of Him coming in us and the more we spend time with Him, the more we're supposed to look like Him. We're supposed to talk like Him. We're supposed to think like Him. We're supposed to walk like Him. This is that pre-existent state that we're supposed to step into to be more holy and more righteous. We don't get more holy and more righteous by being who you are. You get more holy and more righteous by stepping into who He says that you are. He reveals to you who you truly are, not who the world has taught you that you are. Not what religion has taught you that you are. not what your pastors taught you that you are, not what your friends taught you that you are, but who that Jesus reveals to you through intimacy that He says you are. It's good teaching, guys. So He's the only begotten of the Father. Jesus is and was and always will be the only begotten Son of God. Men will never be begotten or born in the same sense as Jesus was. For our sonship is on a different basis that of adoption, not an actual beguiding and coming into existence, we gazed upon His preciousness. When we gazed upon His preciousness, when we gazed upon His sacrifice and we accepted his him as our Lord and Savior, that we believe that he died on the cross for our sins. We believe that the father raised him from the dead. We believe that he sits at the right hand of the father. We confess that in the word confess doesn't even mean that I just stay out loud, say it out loud. It means I become it. I believe it so much that I become that and the become in, in that thing is not that I become resurrected life or that I become at the right hand of the father. It means that you believe it so much that has become your identity, that you are that Born again person, um, I tell this story quite quite often. Um, uh, the the guy that started the Salvation Army, his name is escaping me right now, but he was in a he was in a town. And they were going from door to door because the Salvation Army's main thing way back in the day was to preach the gospel only, not to sell used furniture and recycled clothing. Um, it was to preach the gospel and they had uniforms and they were very militant in nature. And, and the leader of this was, was in the town and this atheist came up to him and he said, what you say is not true. And the, the guy looked at him. And he said, what do you mean? Why, why, what do you mean it's not true? And he said, well, you lack conviction. He said, what are you talking about? He said, if you believed what you were preaching, you'd crawl through town on your knees with glass under you to make sure every single person heard what you were saying. And he said, there's no conviction in what you're saying. It's a reality that there must be a manifestation of the habitation that's taking place in our life. Uh, That that existence, intimacy, it must be overflowing. And people will say, especially in religious, very religious circles. and, And I have to explain uh, I'm learning uh, here in Rome, I do a lot of work in missions um, outside of the United States. Uh, and, and when you say religious there, they get it. They understand what you're talking about. They know you're talking about Muhammad and Buddha and, and all this other stuff. But in, in, in Rome, Georgia, what I found when I say religious, people think I'm talking about it in a good way. I'm not talking about it in a good way. In religious circles, they will say uh, religion is is the absence of intimacy but law and works only without that intimate nature but not a manifestation of the inward habitation that's taking place in your life and they'll say well I'm not an evangelist we're all evangelists We're all called to preach the gospel. You may not sit in the office of an evangelist. That's something totally different. But you're all evangelical in nature that you're to be proclaiming the goodness of Christ, preaching what is going on inside of you. Paul said, let that be your testimony about the inward work that's taking place. Let others know what's going on. Uh, uh, you You don't preach conviction. You preach the truth from the gospel. The Holy Spirit stands on the word of God and brings conviction because the word of God is preached. And so the, there is that that existence and that that need to have that manifestation. And if that manifestation is not taking place in your life, there needs to be a prayer life installed. And a prayer life is not, uh, God, I need this and, and please be with this person and please be with that person. It's a moment of laying on your face, sometimes just for hours, just telling him that he's holy, asking him for mercy, asking him for more of him, telling him to come and destroy anything in your life that's in the way of you having more of him with no other uh, uh, agenda other than just to have more of him it's not to get a ministry platform or to get a job or or to get money or to for your friend to be healed or for this person over here to have peace it is just to have more of him because when you have more of him all of those things exist in him and shall come your way because you're in intimacy with him where am i 15, so John bore witness of him and cried out saying, this was he of whom I said he comes after me is preferred before me for he was before me. What I want to talk about is that preferred before me. This is a, this is something that John understood before it was fully taught because John had a revelational knowledge by way of intimacy with the father of who that Jesus was. Not just who He was in the moment, but who He was before. And not only just who He was before, but who He was going to be in the day to come. And so he, was, he understood that God could not resist a humble man. So John never talked about himself boastfully. He never talked about himself as he was a great man. He never talked about himself as, as he was special in some kind of way, but that the person he was talking about was special in every way. He had this conviction in his life that understood who Jesus not only was, who he is, and who he was going to be, but he had a manifestation outwardly of a revelation that had not even come, past, come to pass in the world, but had come to pass in his life. And that is, that is who that we're supposed to be as sons and daughters. We're supposed to be living a revelational experience that has yet to come to pass based on the things that have already come to pass. There's more coming, and we can, by intimate nature, have more understanding of what's coming and live that manifestation in a world that doesn't understand what's coming because if they did everyone would fall on their knees and say holy 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 because he said in that day every knee shall bow if we have that revelation now the knees could bow now and so he he understood he had to live this way he's preferred before me I understand that all of you have come to, to get baptized by Me and that you came out into the wilderness to hear Me preach and you were basking in My light, as Jesus said, for a moment. And I understand all of those things, but I need you to understand the only greatness that exists in Me is because of the He that is coming. And I'll need to talk to you about he that is coming because you need to receive what I've already received by faith, but is about to be manifested in front of you in sight. You will be able to see the manifestation of the son of the living God. And so he's, he's bearing witness of these things. He's preparing them. My phone thinks I'm working out preferred before me. He was before me preferred before me. This speaks of the eternal nature of Christ. So this is what I'm talking about when, when I'm telling you that John the Baptist understood who Jesus not only was, is, and was going to be, because he, he's, he said he's before me. He's talking about he's always been, he always will be, and he is now. He is all the spectrums. This is what he's trying to say. He is everything. And he's trying to get them to understand this. He was, he, he's saying, if you think that I'm great, and some of you came here to, to, throw rocks at me and and to ask me dumb questions and I'm going to answer them. But you need to understand that it's not me that you're looking for. It's him that's coming that you're looking for, but you won't be able to take him until he gives you permission to take him. And so he was saying he's, he was, he has an eternal nature. He has an eternal nature. John was older, but John seen him as he was before and who he would be. Not only was he, so this is uh, something I'll have to teach on at some point on, on Sunday when I, have, when I have more time to teach on it. But most of us live in a uh, what's called a first day mentality. Uh, we understand where Jesus is now. Um, but we lack understanding and revelational knowledge. And revelational knowledge is that, that, that remember that manifestation, that, that understanding in such a way that it manifests out of your life. Um, We we see Jesus as um, you have all these different versions, but they're all first day mentalities. Some seem on the cross crucified. Some seem sitting at the right hand of the father. Some of y'all seem a bunch of different ways, but who he will be, who he's coming to be in the third day on that, that that second coming. That's that third day mentality that John the, the Baptist had an understanding of. He did. He was not standing there in a first day mentality. He was standing there in a third day mentality. He had so much fear of the Lord before there was anything to fear of the Lord. He understood because he had already experienced it by intimate nature with the Father of who the Son was going to be. This is why when he steps on the scene when we get to it next week or the week after that, When he steps on the scene, he said, I'm not worthy to untie your sandals. He understood that that I am so low that I can't even touch the feet of you because he had such fear of who that he was going to be. Eyes like fire and hair like wool. This was how John seen him. He seen him as all the other things, but everything that Jesus was and what or everything that Jesus had been, and was in the moment is encompassed in who He is in the third day, in the coming, in the second coming. And we have to begin to see Him as that because He's more that than He is anything else that we've seen Him before. He's all of that in this moment, but He's more this. He's that more that more fearful thing. He's coming as a righteous judge. And it's not a, a fear um, like a, I'm afraid of clowns type of thing. It's a fear and trembling that He is the great I am. He has become everything that the father was because he said everything that was the father's is now mine. And those that will follow my commands, everything that is his, I will give to you. And so John was understanding this. He had that third day mentality. um, 16. And of his fullness, we have all received in grace for grace. So I want to talk about fullness. So out of his fulfillment, we are fulfilled. So out of His fulfillment, we are fulfilled. It is only in that revelational love and understanding by the, the the intimate existence of a relationship with Christ is the only thing that will fulfill you because He has fulfilled it. He, he encompasses everything you will ever need. And so when you, you find yourself lacking in an area, struggling in an area uh, bound by depression or anxiety or demonics, uh, possessed even, uh, spirit of depression upon, demonic... Pos- uh, demonic spirits upon, um, lack of ability to have finance, lack of ability to have a job, struggle in relationships and marriage. There is that is him pinpointing, you know, these things that are in your life, these struggles that are taking place. He's pinpointing there's a lack of intimacy for you between him and you in that moment because you cannot experience the fulfillment of what he fulfilled. When he died on the cross, he fulfilled everything. There wasn't one thing that he didn't fulfill. And if you just step into that with intimate nature, you shall find that fulfillment and you shall have peace. You shall not have depression. You won't have anxiety. It's not that, that you won't go through trials. You'll always go through trials. The enemy will never stop trying to come. But but you know how to rebuke it. You know how to stand fast on it because you understand that what the enemy's trying to steal from you or, or, or in other words, convince you to give up, they can't have because it don't even belong to you to give up because Christ fulfilled it. So by His fulfilling it, you are fulfilled. And by Him fulfilling you and you being fulfilled, you now belong to Him. You have no right. You're already bought and paid for completely 100%. You don't get to decide heaven or hell. The blood has already decided that you choose him or you choose hell. And so you have to live in that fulfilled understanding that he isn't I don't need to go out and drink. I don't need to go out and party. I don't need to have sex before marriage. I don't need to lie. I don't need to watch pornography. I don't need to gamble. I don't need to do all of these things of the world that the world has to offer that's supposed to be pleasing. It should become strange to you because you're fulfilled by the fulfillment of Christ. So, fullness, it's an abundance. A completeness. All needs and lawful wants are promised by the gospel. You have to understand that. Not not all wants, all lawful wants. All lawful desires. What is the law? God didn't or Jesus didn't come to destroy the law. He did make some changes. But everything that he didn't address is still applicable to our lives today because he didn't address it. So he came to to allow us to understand what were the lawful wants, what were our lawful desires and our lawful desires and our lawful wants only see us deeper into intimacy with Christ because our lawful wants and desires is the will of the father. And so when we understand that and we start to step into those promises, those promises only come to pass. All of those that are in the Bible that again, the religious circles want to preach over you like they're already yours and they don't understand why you don't have them, but they don't want to speak, preach conviction they want to they don't want to preach repentance they don't want to preach intimacy they don't want to talk about uh, people being demonized they don't want to talk about being filled with the spirit and speaking in tongues they don't want to talk about healing for today you can't have all the promises of the bible absent of all the commandments of god you can't even fully love him without following the commandments because he said if you love me you'll keep my commands so therefore if you don't love him or if you don't keep his commands you don't love him in an area it's not that you don't love him at all there's an area of your life that He can't touch because you've refused to step into the commandment that was given to receive that love and inside that love houses the promises of God that can be fulfilled in your life when you step into that intimate nature. And that intimate nature is, you know, I'm married and and if I went out and and went partying with some girl and then came home, guess what I'm going to find? The doors are going to be locked. The locks are going to be changed and my crap is going to be on the yard because my wife's not going to put up with it. Jesus is the same way. He will accept you back with repentance. Your wife or your husband may not be that forgiving because they're flesh and bone, but Jesus will accept you back with true repentance, which is turning away from and separating from. But if if I'm living in a world trying to be pleased by the world, setting up my kingdom on earth, there is a separatedness that's taking place that that separates me from that intimate nature with Christ to where the the doors will be locked and and everything be set aside. And so we have to understand that that's what's taking place. So completeness. All needs and lawful wants are, are promised by the Gospel. Grace for Grace. This is the next thing I want to talk about. Grace for grace. It, it, it's, it's full grace according to the need to needs and wants. Full grace according to needs and wants. Again, you can't understand the fullness of needs and wants without understanding what is a lawful want, what is a lawful need, what is a lawful desire. What is something that is allowed by the will of the Father? Prosperity? It is. It's allowed. It's allowed by intimacy. It's not a prosperity gospel that I'm going to be rich and famous and get to drive around a Maserati and fly on a jet and live in a huge house. I mean, that would be awesome. God can do those things. I'm not knocking on any pastors or preachers that live that life because I know some of them personally and I know their intimate relationship with Christ. And God has blessed them that way. And that's fine. God is able and willing to do that. But prosperity is promised that you will have above and beyond what you could ever think or imagine ever just sit around in a chair and begin to think and imagine? I think about nations getting taken over by Christ. I think about Rome, Georgia getting set free from all the demonics and all the religious spirits and, and Holy Ghost filled churches pulling up and people getting blasted and a move of God happening and India being set free from all the stuff. I mean, I just go crazy with my imagination because of the promise that I will fulfill above and beyond what you could ever think or imagine. So you might as well start thinking and imagining big. Believe God for something that is impossible for you. I mean, everything you're doing is really impossible for you. Even breathing is impossible for you. Absent of the presence of God and the will of the Father, that is a promise of God that you shall have life. Absent of that promise and receiving that promise, breath is gone and you die. Help me, Jesus. 17. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So law. So the law that condemns in the moral life and only typifies in the religious life. This is what this is talking about, this law. This law that he's he's referencing here. It condemns in the mortal life, but only typifies in the religious life. Truth. Truth. What is, what is he talking about? Truth. I, I love the way the Passion um, breaks this down. It is, it is really good to me. It says, truth wrapped in tender mercy. That he came to reveal the truth wrapped in tender mercy. So what is that saying? It's basically saying he knew he's a bunch of boneheads and we weren't going to get it. So he needed it to be wrapped in tender mercy. He's going to come and be the truth and reveal the truth. But he's saying you're a bunch of boneheads and you're not going to get it because you only want to live for yourself and you're selfish in nature because of the fall so many years ago. But I'm going to wrap it in tender mercy so that you can receive it. It's the same thing as uh, I don't know how old some of you all are, but we used to watch Mary Poppins growing up and it says a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. And I love that right there because that's what he did. He said, here's the truth, but I'm going to wrap it in tender mercy so that you can easily help it go down. So you can easily understand what I'm trying to say. So you can easily step into what I'm asking you to step into. Stepping into it's not hard. Stepping into it is easy. It's remaining in it that's hard. Anyone can step into it, but it's those that can remain in it that's hard. And the more understanding you have of this the harder it gets to stay because the enemy wants to pull you away that much more. Because the more you understand, the deeper intimacy you step into, the bigger the target gets on your back because the more power and authority you have under the word by way of intimacy to destroy his plans and workings. Truth wrapped in tender mercies revealed. So Moses, it says Moses here. So the only thing that I really have to tell you about this that I found interesting um, was this is the first time that Moses is mentioned in this book. Um, and he's only mentioned 13 times in total. So Moses is referenced 13 times in this book, in the book of John, the, uh, this gospel. And so that to me was very interesting. So I'm just sharing with you something that was interesting to me. So grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. This does not mean that there was no law before Moses or no grace and truth before Jesus Christ came. The law itself is truth and the New Testament is law. Uh, There are also, there is a thousand and fifty commands in the New Testament. A thousand and fifty. A thousand and fifty commands that is given for you to follow. What this is saying is that the fullness of grace came by Jesus Christ. We have access to it today. We've access to it today in fullness. So what men only received in part in the Old Testament, we now have ability to see the fullness of. They never had access to the fullness because Christ hadn't came. But the moment that he died, we then had this ability to step into the fullness that existed and has always existed. It's not even really a. Um, there's another word. Uh, I can't even remember it right now, but it's it's another word. It's it's. We use existence because it's like Paul said. I'm speaking to you in humanly terms. Uh, there's a word that is outside of existence because God. He doesn't exist. He's just always been. Um, something can't exist it's always been it's it's bigger than that it, it, he he is real it, it's just he's bigger than an existence he he's bigger than a because you exist but you were born you were made at some point and you came into life god has just always been so he's even outside of existence 18. i'm not to, to stop at 18 So no one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father. He has declared Him. So this word seen. So no one has seen God. This is not a physical seeing. There's many references in the Old Testament and many in the New where people laid eyes upon God. They laid eyes upon Him. What is it talking about? It is actually talking about... So so to see with the eyes and also see with the mind. To comprehend fully or understand. This is what it's talking about. It is clear many men have seen God with the eyes. Many have seen God with the eyes. But no man has ever comprehended or experienced God at any time in all of His fullness. Only the begotten Son. Christ is the first to experience God in the fullness of the Holy Spirit as a man. So again, this is good news. Up until this point, no, people had seen God, but not fully experienced and understood. But then there stands a man in front of us that fully experiences God and understands Him completely. This is why Jesus, Jesus didn't say, He's not saying, He that has seen Me has seen the Father. He's not saying, I am the Father. He's saying, because of my experiential nature and intimate longing and desire and understanding of him, I am now fully manifesting him to you. This is the same thing I was talking about earlier. We have that ability to allow that fullness of Christ to manifest out of us. People say all the time, well, if Christ was here, he'd heal everybody. Well, if you let him flow out of you, he would. If you'd be surrendered completely and let him, the fullness of who who he is and what he died for to come out of you, come out of you, it would be the same. I see thousands of people get healed. I've seen blind eyes and deaf ears and cancer and pull people out of wheelchairs. But I've also seen, seen thousands that didn't. I've seen thousands that have died. I've seen thousands that are still blind. And that's not okay, but we can't live in condemnation over that. It's just a reality that I need more intimacy with Christ. I need more time with Him. I need more understanding. I need more revelatory knowledge of who that He is and what He wants to do through me and out of me. Therefore, because He did, because Jesus as a man experienced and understood the fullness of God as a man, died as a man, and then said what He said, that everything that's a father's now is mine and now it'll be yours, we have permission to do so as well. We have permission to intimately know Him and understand Him in God's fullness because, God, because Jesus did. The last word I want to talk about is declared. He has declared Him. Declared. Uh, it, it's pretty simple. It, he revealed. He expounded upon. Um, he, he took something that even the Old Testament scholars had an idea of and revealed it in a greater manner, but then expounded upon who the Father was so we could have a greater teaching and understanding of how we can get to that intimate nature with Him. And we'll pray, and then if there's any questions, I'll do my best. So Jesus, I've done all that I know that I can do. I thank You for mercy and truth being spoken tonight, Lord. I pray for conviction to come by way of Your Holy Spirit only. Lord, I pray for mercy to come as they they begin to try to step into some of these truths, Lord, that you would even guide them to go back and re-listen to this and be challenged in their day-to-day life and intimacy with you, Lord. That they didn't come here today just to challenge a person, Lord, but to grow deeper in intimacy with you. That they didn't come just to see if this was the real deal, Lord, but they came to become the real deal. So, Father, we thank you for mercy. We thank you for love and kindness. In Jesus' name, amen.